0: Chapter 11 of the Seaboard Parish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Seaboard Parish by George MacDonald. Chapter 11 Connie's Dream. Mr. Turner, being a good mechanic as well as surgeon, proceeded to invent and with his own hands, in a great measure, construct a kind of litter, with which a water bed laid upon it, could be placed in our own carriage for Connie to lie upon, and from that lifted without disturbing her, and placed in a similar manner in the railway carriage. He had laid Connie repeatedly upon it before he was satisfied that the arrangement of the springs was successful. But at length she declared that it was perfect, and that she would not mind being carried across the Arabian desert on a camel's back with that under her. As the season advanced, she continued to improve. I shall never forget the first time she was carried out upon the lawn. If you can imagine an infant coming into the world capable of the observation and delight of a child of eight or ten, you will have some idea of how Connie received the new impressions of everything around her. They were almost too much for her at first, however. She, who had been used to scamper about like a wild thing on a pony, found the delight of a breath of wind almost more than she could bear. After she was laid down, she closed her eyes, and the smile that flickered about her mouth was of a sort that harmonized entirely with the two great tears that crept softly out from under her eyelids, and sank, rather than ran, down her cheeks. She lay so that she faced a rich tract of gently receding upland, plentifully wooded to the horizon's edge, and through the wood peeped the white and red houses of a little hamlet, with the square tower of its church just rising above the trees. A kind of frame was made to the whole picture by the nearer trees of our own woods, through an opening in which, evidently made or left for its sake, the distant prospect was visible. It was a morning in early summer, when the leaves were not quite full-grown but almost, and their green was shining and pure as the blue of the sky, when the air had no touch of bitterness or of lassitude, but was thoroughly warm, and yet filled the lungs with the reviving as of a draft of cold water. We had fastened the carriage umbrella to the sofa, so that it should shade her perfectly without obscuring her prospect, and behind this we all crept, leaving her to come to herself without being looked at, for emotion is a shy and sacred thing, and should be tenderly hidden by those who are near. The bees kept very beezy all about us. To see one huge fellow, as big as three ordinary ones, with pieces of red and yellow about him, as if he were the beetle of all bee and overgrown in consequence, to see him, I say, down in a little tuft of white clover, rolling about in it, hardly able to move for fatness, yet bumming away as if his business was to express the delight of the whole creation, was a sight. Then there were the butterflies, so light that they seemed to tumble up into the air and get down again with difficulty. They bewildered me with their inscrutable variations of purpose. If I could but see once for an hour into the mind of a butterfly, I thought, it would be to me worth all the natural history I ever read. If I could but see why he changes his mind so often and so suddenly, what he saw about that flower to make him seek it, then why, on a nearer approach, he should decline further acquaintance with it and go rocking away through the air to do the same fifty times over again, it would give me an insight into all animal and vegetable life that ages of study could not bring me up to. I was thinking all this behind my daughter's umbrella, while a lark whose body had melted quite away in the heavenly spaces was scattering bright beads of ringing melody straight down upon our heads while a cock was crowing like a clarion from the home farm as if in defiance of the golden glitter of his silent brother on the roof of the stable while a little stream that scampered down the same slope as the lawn lay upon from a well in the stable-yard mingled its sweet undertone of contentment with the jubilation of the lark and the business-like hum of the bees and while white clouds floated in the majesty of silence across the blue deeps of the heavens the air was so full of life and reviving that it seemed like the crude substance that god might take to make babies souls of only the very simile smells of materialism and therefore i do not like it papa said connie at length and i was beside her in a moment her face looked almost glorified with delight there was a hush of that awe upon it which is perhaps one of the deepest kinds of delight. She put out her thin white hand, took hold of a button of my coat, drew me down towards her, and said in a whisper, Don't you think God is here, Papa? Yes, I do, my darling, I answered. Doesn't he enjoy this? Yes, my dear, he wouldn't make us enjoy it if he did not enjoy it. It would be to deceive us to make us glad and blessed while our father did not care about it or how it came to us at least it would amount to making us no longer his children. I am so glad you think so, I do, and I shall enjoy it so much more now. She could hardly finish her sentence but burst out sobbing so that I was afraid she would hurt herself. I saw, however, that it was best to leave her to quiet herself and motion to the rest to keep back and let her recover as she could. The emotion passed off in a summer shower, and when I went round once more, her face was shining just like a wet landscape after the sun has come out and nature has begun to make gentle game of her own past sorrows in a little while she was merry merrier notwithstanding her weakness than i think i had ever seen her before look at that comical sparrow she said look how he cocks his head first on one side and then on the other does he want us to see him is he bumptious or what i hardly know my dear i think sparrows are very like schoolboys and i suspect that if we understood the one class thoroughly we should understand the other but i confess i do not yet understand either perhaps you will when charlie and harry are old enough to go to school said connie it is my only chance of making any true acquaintance with the sparrows i answered look at them now i exclaimed as a little crowd of them suddenly appeared where only one had stood a moment before and exploded in objurgation and general unintelligible excitement after some obscure fluttering of wings and pecking, they all vanished except two, which walked about in a dignified manner, trying apparently to seem quite unconscious, each of the other's presence. "'I think it was a political meeting of some sort,' said Connie, laughing merrily. "'Well, they have this advantage over us,' I answered, "'that they get through their business, whatever it may be, with considerably greater expedition than we get through ours.' A short silence followed, during which Connie lay contemplating everything. "'What do you think we girls are like, then, papa?' she asked at length. "'Don't say you don't know, now. "'I ought to know something more about you than I do about schoolboys, "'and I think I do know a little about girls. "'Not much, though. "'They puzzle me a good deal sometimes. "'I know what a great-hearted woman is, Connie.' "'You can't help doing that, papa,' interrupted Connie, "'adding with her old roguishness, you mustn't pass yourself off for very knowing for that. By the time Winnie is quite grown up, your skill will be tried. I hope I shall understand her then, and you too, Connie. A shadow, just like the shadow of one of those white clouds above us, passed over her face, and she said, trying to smile, I shall never grow up, papa. If I live, I shall only be a girl at best, a creature you can't understand. On the contrary, Connie, I think I understand you almost as well as Mamma but there isn't so much to understand yet, you know, as there will be. Her merriment returned. Tell me what girls are like, then, or I shall sulk all day because you say there isn't so much in me as in Mama. Well, I think, if the boys are like sparrows, the girls are like swallows. Did you ever watch them before rain, Connie, skimming about over the lawn as if it were water, low towards its surface but never alighting? You never see them grubbing after worms nothing less than things with wings like themselves will satisfy them. They will be obliged to the earth only for a little mud to build themselves nests with. For the rest, they live in the air, and on the creatures of the air. And then, when they fancy the air begins to be uncivil, sending little shoots of cold through their warm feathers, they vanish. They won't stand it. They're off to a warmer climate, and you never know till you find they're not there any more. There, Connie. I don't know, papa, whether you are making game of us or not. If you are not, then I wish all you say were quite true of us. If you are, then I think it is not quite like you to be satirical. I am no believer in satire, Connie, and I didn't mean any. The swallows are lovely creatures, and there would be no harm if the girls were a little steadier than the swallows. Further satire than that I am innocent of. I don't mind that much, papa, only I'm steady enough, and no thanks to me for it, she added with a sigh. Connie, I said. It's all for the sake of your wings that you're kept in your nest. She did not stay out long this first day, for the life the air gave her soon tired her weak body. But the next morning she was brighter and better, and longing to get up and go out again. When she was once more laid on her couch on the lawn, in the midst of the world of light and busyness, in which the light was the busiest of all, she said to me, Papa, I had such a strange dream last night. Shall I tell it you? If you please, my dear, i am very fond of dreams that have any sense in them or even of any that have good nonsense in them i woke this morning saying to myself dante the poet must have been a respectable man for he was permitted by the council of florence to carry the nicene crate and the multiplication table in his coat of arms now tell me your dream connie laughed all the household tried to make connie laugh and generally succeeded it was quite a triumph to charlie or harry and was sure to be recounted with glee at the next meal when he succeeded in making Connie laugh. Mine wasn't a dream to make me laugh. It was too dreadful at first and too delightful afterwards. I suppose it was getting out for the first time yesterday that made me dream it. I thought I was lying quite still, without breathing even, with my hands straight down by my sides and my eyes closed. I did not choose to open them, for I knew that if I did, I should see nothing but the inside of the lid of my coffin. I did not mind it much at first, for I was very quiet and not uncomfortable. Everything was silent as it should be, for I was ten feet and a half under the surface of the earth in the churchyard. Old Sodgers was not far from me on one side, and that was a comfort, only there was a thick wall of earth between. But as the time went on, I began to get uncomfortable. I could not help thinking how long I should have to wait for the resurrection. Somehow I had forgotten all that you teach us about that. Perhaps it was a punishment, the dream, for forgetting it. Silly child, your dream is far better than your reflections. Well, I'll go on with my dream. I lay a long time till I got very tired and wanted to get up. Oh, so much. But still I lay, and although I tried, I could not move hand or foot. At last I burst out crying. I was ashamed of crying in my coffin, but I couldn't bear it any longer. I thought I was quite disgraced, for everybody was expected to be perfectly quiet and patient down there, but the moment I began to cry, I heard a sound, and when I listened, it was the sound of spades and pickaxes. It went on and on, and came nearer and nearer, and then, it was so strange, I was dreadfully frightened at the idea of the light and the wind, and of the people seeing me in my coffin and my nightdress, and tried to persuade myself that it was somebody else they were digging for or that they were only going to lay another coffin over mine. And I thought that if it was you, papa, I shouldn't mind how long I lay there, for I shouldn't feel a bit lonely, even though we could not speak a word to each other all the time. But the sounds came on nearer and nearer, and at last a pickaxe struck, with a blow that jarred me all through upon the lid of the coffin right over my head. Here she is, poor thing, I heard a sweet voice say. I'm so glad we found her, said another voice, she couldn't bear it any longer, said a third more pitiful voice than either of the others. I heard her first, it went on. I was away up in Orion when I thought I heard a woman crying that oughtn't to be crying. And I stopped and listened, and I heard her again. Then I knew that it was one of the buried ones, and that she had been buried long enough and was ready for the resurrection. So as any business can wait except that, I flew here and there till I fell in with the rest of you. I think, papa, that this must have been because of what you were saying the other evening about the mysticism of St. Paul, that while he defended with all his might the actual resurrection of Christ, and the resurrection of those he came to save, he used it as meaning something more yet, as a symbol for our coming out of the death of sin into the life of truth. Isn't that right, papa? Yes, my dear, I believe so. But I want to hear your dream first, and then your way of accounting for it there isn't much more of it now there must be the best of it yes i allow that well while they spoke it was a wonderfully clear and connected dream i never had one like it for that or for anything else they were clearing away the earth and stones from the top of my coffin and i lay trembling and expecting to be looked at like a thing in a box as i was every moment but they lifted me coffin and all out of the grave for i felt the motion of it up then they set it down, and I heard them taking the lid off. But after the lid was off, it did not seem to make much difference to me. I could not open my eyes. I saw no light, and felt no wind blowing upon me. But I heard whispering about me. Then I felt warm, soft hands washing my face, and then I felt wafts of wind coming on my face, and thought they came from the waving of wings. And when they had washed my eyes, the air came upon them so sweet and cool. And I opened them, I thought, and here I was lying on this couch with butterflies and bees flitting and buzzing about me, the brook singing somewhere near me, and a lark up in the sky. But there were no angels, only plenty of light and wind and living creatures, and I don't think I ever knew before what happiness meant. Wasn't it a resurrection, Papa, to come out of the grave into such a world as this? Indeed it was, my darling, and a very beautiful and true dream there is no need for me to moralize it to you for you have done so for yourself already but not only do i think that the coming out of sin into goodness out of unbelief into faith in god is like your dream but i do expect that no dream of such delight can come up to the sense of fresh life and being that we shall have when we get on the higher body after this one won't serve our purpose any longer and is worn out and cast aside the variability of the mind whether of itself or by some inspiration of the Almighty to dream such things, is a proof of our capacity for such things, a proof, I think, that for such things we were made. Here comes in the chance for faith in God, the confidence in his being and perfection that he would not have made us capable without meaning to fill that capacity. If he is able to make us capable, that is the harder half done already. The other he can easily do. And if he is love, he will do it. You should thank God for that dream, Connie. I was afraid to do that, papa. That is as much as to fear that there is one place to which David might have fled where God would not find him, the most terrible of all thoughts. Where do you mean, papa? Dreamland, my dear. If it is right to thank God for a beautiful thought, I mean a thought of strength and grace giving you fresh life and hope, why should you be less bold to thank him when such thoughts arise in plainer shape? take such vivid forms to your mind that they seem to come through the doors of the eyes into the vestibule of the brain and thence into the inner chambers of the soul End of chapter Eleven.